and welcome to the Cracked Pots podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And today the topic we are tackling is why are millennials not in the church and what can we do to get them back? Dun, dun, dun. The million dollar question that everybody over 50 asks. Pretty much. I mean, pretty much. That's they're the, and I think the millennials have become sort of the, the whipping boy of, of older generations. Yeah, uh, I'm, here's, here's the reality. Uh, I'm Gen X, you're Gen X. Yes. We weren't in the church either. That's true, absolutely not. I, I mean, I came back to the church in my 30s. And my wife drug me back. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this isn't a millennial problem. This is also, you know, our generation and younger. And I mean, I can tell you growing up why I stopped going to church. It was a couple of d- different reasons. Um, number one, it was boring. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, okay, the sermon's finally over. We still have how much to go through um, before you got done. And uh, and I didn't grow up Lutheran. I grew up um, a hodgepodge of things. I, we didn't actually go to a Lutheran. My mom and I went to a Lutheran church about the time I was 16. Um, and then I left for quite some time. But also I think part of the issue is uh, the church has been in a culture war that it doesn't need to be in. Hmm. Um, the, the culture war, I think, part of what it has been, at least when I was in school, I don't know how many times I had classmates who, for speech class, decided they were going to do a um, debate type of, of speech or a um, persuasive speech regarding creation versus evolution. So my high school... Um, Dover, Pennsylvania, Dover Area High School, which was the famous Supreme Court case um, uh, create, uh, over creationism and whether it should be taught in schools or not. So I have that background. I was not there during that debate. That was after I left. Um, so yeah, that was a huge, a huge thing back in my hometown of, of Dover, Pennsylvania. A shout out to Dover, Pennsylvania, I guess. Um, yeah, so that, that, so I, I kind of bring that in that into the equation as well. I did not grow up Lutheran. Um, I was baptized Lutheran. Um, as was I. Grew up Methodist. Um, lot going on in the Methodist church these days. Um, grew up Methodist and then stopped going to church um, for many of the same reasons. One, it was boring. Um, two, I didn't quite get it. It didn't quite add up for me. I didn't see our church doing the things that was that I that I was you know that was presented scripturally. Um, and through the message, I'm like, well, you're preaching this, but we're not really doing it. That didn't seem to make sense. Um, and so I spent 15 or so years not going to church. I met my wife, and she said, you know, maybe we should start going to church. I'm Lutheran. Let's go to a Lutheran church. And bam, we went back um, to a Lutheran church. Um, and then a few years later, seminary, and this, you know, that, that whole long journey. Um, but I think, I think it's important to define millennials, or at least attempt to, um, so millennials, traditionally speaking, typically, and there's a little variation, but 19, born in 19, between 1980 and 2000. Um, now, some of the articles you read, you try and push that back to 1977-ish, which gets closer, you know, a little closer to my birth year. Um, if you do, I, I know, I remember a few years ago, and I don't know if you did these as well, um, there were several surveys 
you know, what generation do you identify with? And you, they give you like 10 questions. I almost always aligned in those surveys as a millennial. Um, so maybe I'm just not as, not as grown up as, <laughs> as what my, not as, touching that one. as what my age would say. <laughs> so I think there's many that people one. that would definitely agree with that statement. Um, <laughs> I'll plead the fifth. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, at least for me, growing up, one, one of the, the big challenges was not only was, was there this big disconnect between what you were learning in church and what you were learning in school, which for me, uh, I, for whatever reason, I never took the creation story to be literal anyway, so I thought the whole argument was, was ridiculous and silly. And, but there were, oh my goodness, people who, you know, just that way. And I was like, well, how, how do you th just ignore science? How do you... Right, and science and religion has always been, for many people, um, attention. Well, how do you have science and you have religion? They're, they're incompatible, and in fact, they're, they're not. Um, I was blessed to have a, a, a scientist um, in a former congregation um, who was deeply, deeply faithful, and for her that science and that background actually fed her faith. Um, when you talk about creation, and, and she broke down, we did a Bible study one day, and she broke down scientifically the percentage of everything happening. And it was way over my head. I, afterwards, I said, that was a beautiful presentation. Can you give me like, like the cliff notes, the dumb, the, 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 uh, the, your, your presentation for dummies, because I needed it, because she was so um, deeply scientific. But she broke down the percentage of how unlikely it was for creation to start. And, there, and you know, her theory then was, her thesis then was, that there had to be some divine intervention, some divine push. Something some, that got it some, going. Some nudge that got it going because mathematically it was almost impossible. Well, my dad was a doctor. My mother was a medical technologist. I mean, you, <laughs> I grew up in science, um, but I also grew up in faith. Um, so that, that tension never made sense to me, but um, as a, an instructor now, I teach over um, at Indian River State College, I teach world religions, and it's uh, not surprising to me that I find a lot of students who their big issue is the fact that what they read in the Bible doesn't mesh with what they are learning in the science classroom, and to me, that's a failure of the church. Um, not the failure, you know, it's not anything science is doing wrong or that our teachers are doing wrong in the schools. It's the church's fault that they haven't given a, a more robust um, interpretation and understanding of what is actually going on in that creation story. The other um, issue is when I got to college, none of my friends were Christian. If they were, they were nominally Christian. Um, I had an atheist uh, that was one of my best friends, a uh, Buddhist, a uh, Wiccan, <laughs> I mean, and so I was being exposed to all kind of all this other stuff, and it wasn't that I personally had quit believing, but I began to question a lot of the whole idea, well, if they're not Christian, they're going to hell and all that kind of stuff, and I was like, these are beautiful people, I don't, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't, so, that, so I guess you might say the intolerance 
of my faith began to drive me away a little bit from going to it because it said, hey, all of these friends of yours who believe something different are somehow doomed to suffer for eternity in hell. And I was like, I'm okay. That's interesting. So I, by the time I got to college, I had already quit church. Um, and I played baseball in college. And so that was, that was my cohort. I mean, we spent so much time together as, as a team. Um, and most of us lived in the same dorm. Oh, man, that, was, that's a, that dorm is a whole other story of um, filth and stench and everything else. If we get a bunch of athletes in a dorm, um, makes for some interesting smells. Um, but anyway, so I had already quit the church, so to speak, when I got to college. Now, interestingly enough... Um, before every game, we would gather in a, we would kneel in a circle um, outside the dugout and we would say a prayer. Um, now, the interesting thing, I don't know that you could confuse us very much with a religious, now we were a brother in school, I think, technically, um, but I don't know that much else had happened on the baseball field, in the locker room, in the dugout, you could confuse with religion. Um, and I love my coach. Um, let's just say there was a lot of colorful language, um, both from him and from us. Um, but we still, for whatever reason, we, we did that prayer before, um, before each game, which, which is, is kind of interesting. Um, so here, here's, I was looking up some stats um, this morning. Um, so there was a 2005 study, and they polled 1,300, almost 1,400 millennials um, so ages 18 to 25. More than half of them reported that they pray regularly before a meal. And I would guess that the majority of people that you know, sort of beat that drum that millennials are not religious would never guess that. Um, one third of them discuss religion with their friends. Now, it doesn't say whether or not they're bashing religion, but I, for me, I don't think it matters. I think the fact that, they're, that it's part of their conversation I think is really important. 23% um, do not practice religion. So only 23% of those, of those in the study did not practice religion, and only 3% reported themselves atheist and 4% agnostic. So 25% said that they were nuns, nuns, not N-U-N-N-O-N-E-S, as in they don't have a religious affiliation, but that means 75% of millennials are in some way feel affiliated to a religious practice. So when we talk about um, the doom and gloom of the church and the church in decline, and you know, it's another thing we can kind of pin on millennials and it's their fault. Um, those are pretty encouraging numbers as a church leader say, you know, 75% say they're affiliated in some way, and 25%, now that 25% number is increasing um, across society, but for me, that's a hopeful number and not a pessimistic number that sort of points to a decline in the church. So I think we also have to keep in mind the way the world is different um, since the 80s. So, what, so things that have happened since the 80s in terms of shaping who you were. So we have, we have generations in our pews right now, um, you know, the greatest generation and the, you know, the wars and all those things. And, and thank you for your service if you served. Um, but we have this, this millennial generation that grew up with um, scandal in government, you know, Iran-Contra, those sorts of things. Um, and, and, you know, current day as well. Um, we have the, the abuse of the, ca- and the, the sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church. And if you think that doesn't leave an impression on people in terms of how it shapes their faith, mm-hmm. um, I got news for you. So, so older generations sort of had this inherent 
um, confidence and faith in institutions, where millennial cultures have grown up, where institutions have... have They're have, suspect. They, yeah, and, and rightfully so. I mean, they have all this evidence to say, wait a minute, just because you say this doesn't mean that it's... You know, what's behind the curtain? Right. Um, and I think that... Because the problem is not just the Catholic Church. I mean, as we've seen in the past couple of weeks, the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we know very well that uh, it's it, it maybe not as rampant as what it is in Catholic Church, Southern Baptist. Maybe. But, yeah, that, as far as we know. <laughs> but we, we know that other denominations struggle with these things, too, and they try very hard to cover it up. Um, because, you know, it's, it's not going to look good. It's going, you know, we need to have, to, you know, because it's just going to be another blemish on the, the face of the church or whatever. Instead of being honest about it, they cover it up. And, it, and, and that becomes, that, that creates that environment of distrust because eventually cover-ups get exposed. Yep. That's it, it, sooner or later a cover up like that will get exposed. And here's the reality we live in right now: technology is booming, information is booming. There used to be, you know, you saw, you watch the news, the six o'clock news, or maybe you watch the ten o'clock news. Now, I mean, I, I, I'm on Twitter constantly with news updates. So if something's happened in the world, I know like that. Now the good thing is we have that information at our disposal. The bad news is that it turns over so incredibly fast that all the details don't always come out or you know, by the time all the details come out, we're on to the next. But there's so much information that those things that may not have been huge, can you imagine what Watergate would look like today? I mean, huge scandal, and that was major news. And now, I mean, in today's world... It's a scandal a day. Right, well, and, we get, <laughs> and, we, and there's 24-7 news coverage. I mean, so there's so much more stuff and information thrown out um, that makes it How often well. you're, you're like, oh, wow, it was only Monday that X, Y, or Z happened and yep. got a lot of coverage and whatever, but by Wednesday you've forgotten because of the news cycle, it forgotten is, everything that happened on Monday because some new thing has, you know, replaced it or a yep. couple of new things have replaced it yep. uh, in that time span. And, yeah, the, the rapidly moving information world that we now live in is you know it's both a blessing and a a detriment to how we continue to live with one another in society and so trying to figure out then how does the church how does the bible how does faith how does that work into just your average person's life and i think finding that balance and finding that thing is really really difficult especially for our uh, younger generation that you know let's face it they're not thinking about death yet you nope. know that's just that's not on their mind nope. um so they're looking at really what's what's religion and faith going to give me that the rest of the world isn't right and in fact it's going to stop me potentially from doing things i want to do and that then becomes, and, and let's face it, when you've had um, parents that, that haven't been bringing kids to, to church, they don't learn it. Um, when, and one of the, I think one of the big disservices we did was when we took kids out of church. Yeah. Because when they went to, say, something like children's church, oh, it was fun and games and it was all kind of stuff, but then they kind of 
uh, worked their way out of that by aging out, so to speak, and then suddenly found themselves thrown back into an environment they were unfamiliar with, that they didn't feel welcome at. How many millennials do you think are single? A lot. Yeah. I mean, I know at least just in general, the population, um, this is millennials only, but I mean, 51, 52, something like that percent of the population is single. Do you know how welcoming a church is to the single population? Not. No. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. Being single, I can tell you, <laughs> yes. it is not a welcoming place. And it's a very scary thing to be walking into a place full of people all by yourself. Um, and I mean, it, it takes a level of dedication and I really want to do this. And part of it too is with the, you know, for whether better or for worse, people's schedules. I can tell you right now, when I was 20-some years old, 20, 30-some years old, getting up on Sunday morning, which was the one morning I had to not have to get up and do something, to then say, okay, no, now you have to get up and go to church where you're going to be bored, and this isn't going to relate to your life. I would rather just get up and do a Bible study on my own versus going to church. I'd like to say that that's what I was doing in my 20s when I wasn't going to college, getting up Sunday morning and and doing a Bible study by myself. But <laughs> well, I, was, I wasn't was getting not. up in the morning and doing it, <laughs> right. but I, I would do a Bible study on my own. I then found a church when I was living in Pasadena that had Sunday evening services. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of an, oh, it's not a Saturday because let's face it, when you're still, you know, 20 years old, you're, you're still out doing things on Saturday nights. Um, and so Sunday nights usually were that night of, hey, you know, time to quiet down, get ready for your week. And that's actually what drew me back into the church was it was like, hey, this is a time I, you know, I can go and I don't, you know, and I can sit and I can poo-poo the whole convenience thing all we want and say, well, it isn't about convenience. It isn't about what's what's good for you. And, you know, it's, a, it's supposed to be about God. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, a selfish 20-something-year-old isn't going to think that way. Well, let, let's, let's look at the way society's trending in terms of convenience. If I want to go to the movies, I don't have to go to the movies. I have Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, if I want to go out to eat, I don't even have to go out to eat anymore. We have Uber Eats, um, and they will bring food to my door. Um, so we're, we're, we're really skewing society towards convenience. And I don't have um, to even go out and meet people to socialize anymore. Nope, I can do it right on my, right on my phone. Um, now, interesting study also among, you know, across, across generations reports that um, the more people are active on social media, the more lonely they feel, <laughs> which is really interesting. But I want to get back to something you mentioned earlier um, a few minutes ago. And maybe I think we need to confess this as a church. Um, We've done a lot of this to ourselves. Yes. Um, you know, we have said, hey, kiddies, um, you go to children's church because we want, we want to be quiet. Uh, we want a quiet space for worship. And then we've said, um, and which has inherently taught our young people, well, church is for, church is for the big people. Um, you go do your thing, and then they don't grow up in the church and know how to, and know how to, exp- how to experience worship. Um, and, and that's because we've, we've sort of reinforced that. We've also said um, churches on Sunday morning and Sunday morning only. And if you can't make it Sunday morning, then you can't come to church and that's tough. You should reprioritize. Well, the reality is businesses are now open on Sundays. Um, there are very few businesses. I love Chick-fil-A. I love me some Chick-fil-A. 
they're closed on Sunday. Other than that, just about every business is open on Sunday. So if you have a job and have to work on Sunday, guess what? You can't come to church Sunday morning. What else has happened on Sunday mornings? Soccer, hockey, baseball, um, dance, all those things are, are also on Sunday mornings now. And as a church, we've said, church is Sunday morning. And if you can't make it Sunday morning, then, then you need to reprioritize your life. Instead of meeting people where they are and saying, okay, this is, this is the reality of society and we need to be flexible um, in the way we communicate the message. The message is constant. The message is still Christ. The message is central to the gospel. But the way we communicate it, the times we communicate it, we frankly as church, um, church with a capital C, need to be more flexible um, and less um, dug in on this is how we do things and this you need, to, you, need to, you need to rearrange everything, quit your job, tell your job you can't work on Sunday because it's not realistic. I mean, I think the church has suffered from those things. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the final things, too, is the, um, the hypocritical, judgmental aspect of the church that I think drives a lot of people away. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't feel welcome because, you know, the, the church has made some kind of statement about you and um, who you are, I mean, I have had some horrifically horrible things said to me just because I'm a female pastor mm-hmm. um, that are, let's just say, not Christian <laughs> to, okay. to, to utter. Um, I've had horrible, just, just awful things that have been said. I've been treated horribly. I've been called names. Um, and, it's, and people see that. And, you know, I, I'm big enough. I, I'm solid enough in my faith. I can brush it off. But in my earlier years... Well, you shouldn't years, have to. I, I mean, shouldn't let's, have to, Let's just no. say that. But in my earlier years, no. I mean, that was... You saw that, and you were like, I want nothing to do with that. Because the, the funniest thing I, I've, I find is when um, I get people who tell me, as a, as a female pastor, they say things like, well, you're just, just following your own desires. And I'm like going, no. No woman looks at this job and looks at what she has to put up with and says, oh, that's what I want to do. Ministry isn't a... Isn't a <laughs> Isn't, I, lo- I love my job, let me say that. Yes. Before I make a statement, go, oh, oh. Ministry is not a job that you do necessarily out of desire. Um, it's a I, calling. I love my job. I love what I do. I love the people I do it with. Um, but it is sacrifice, and it is, um, it, it, it's, it's a calling. It's not necessarily a desire um, in the sense of, oh, I want to be this so I can... I wanted to be a baseball player when I grew up because I loved baseball and I wanted to make lots of money, blah, 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 blah. That didn't happen. That's a whole other story. But it, it's, it's, it's more of a call. It's much more of a calling than a desire. Um, speaking of women in the church, the, the North Carolina Synod of the ELCA um, produced a video where they had male pastors um, read um, real live, real life things that their female colleagues have heard in the, in the church. Um, and maybe we can link that in the notes if we can find it. Um, I don't know. But it, it, it was powerful in a sense that it was men reacting. And I, honestly, I think if you're, a male, if you're a male clergy and you're not completely tone deaf, you know those things are said by your colleagues. Um, and shame on us as male, co- male clergy for not calling, calling out and saying, hey, that's not appropriate, that's not okay. Um, but that, that's, that's a whole other story. But as, as, so as young people... Um, back to this millennial thing, and as we're you know kind of whipping on the church here a little bit. Um, <laughs> well, people wanted to know why, uh, you know, why why they're leaving. This is why. Correct. Yeah, these Correct. are the reasons and why. I, and I th- I think I think we've kind of earned that. 
Um, and we, we, I know here we preach love and we preach grace a lot, um, mostly because I think it's really central to Jesus. Um, when you look at, at Christ and, and, and you look at his ministry and you try and model that and you try to preach that, um, yes, there's law, but there's a lot of gospel. Um, there's a lot of reaching out to the people that um, you don't typically see in your standard pew. You know, when you correct. think of a, when you think of church and people that go to church, um, he was reaching out to not those people. Right. <laughs> he was reaching out to the people that, when those people, so to speak, come walking through the door, a lot of churches take one look at them and they're like, "What are you doing here? You don't belong." Um, I actually have had parishioners, not here necessarily, um, but I had parishioners say to me verbatim, this is what they've said, they have said, someone who doesn't belong is here. Yes. And my my question back right away is, oh, I'm sorry, who doesn't belong here? Yeah. I mean, if if you don't belong in a church, um, then this should not be a church. Um, I mean, that's the reality. There is no one that should not belong, should not feel welcome. Now, the reality is that's Unfortunately, that's not the case, um, but I think if we're really gospeling and, and, and presenting Jesus and living it, and not just presenting it, but living it, and again, that's, that's one of the disconnects for, for our millennials. Um, I, I see this, I hear this, but if this is your lifestyle, um, if you have tattoos and piercings, you know, maybe, maybe you, you need to reevaluate your life. You know, if you have addiction issues, um, your sexuality, your preferences in sexuality, and that, that's a whole, well, well, well maybe, and we, we, we get all caught up in those issues and forget that there's a person that God created that is across from us. Um, and we start putting labels on things. And, and I, that's, I've always struggled with the labeling part um, of society in general. So I was, I was a psychology major um, in college. That was one of my majors. And I took my abnormal psychology midterm, and I failed it miserably. Um, and I went after that, after that final and switched my major to marketing. Um, and I didn't realize, I didn't fully realize my, my issue until I did my chaplaincy work in CPE. Um, when I did my chaplaincy work in seminary, I worked in a behavioral health unit. And I had one of the doctors came up, come up to me and tell me the diagnosis of one of the patients that I was getting ready to, to meet with as a chaplain. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know why I need to know that as a chaplain. And it clicked at that point that the whole, my whole issue um, was I didn't want to have to label someone because it didn't matter, and to Christ it doesn't matter. And when people walk in, our, walk in our, our, our congregations or when we leave our congregations, and hopefully we leave our congregations and are, and are spreading the love of Christ and being Christ-like in the world, that label shouldn't matter. We shouldn't even see that. I know that we do, but we shouldn't even see that label, let alone pin it on someone as a reason they should or shouldn't be in church. Mm-hmm. So basically, what, what I find rather miraculous, as you said, what, 75% um, of millennials actually affiliate? Yep. I find that rather miraculous when you combine all of the reasons why they shouldn't and, and what would, would drive them away. Um, now it says they're affiliated. It doesn't say they show up. It doesn't say they show up. And, the, and, and yeah. that's one of the things that people, that people get, get jumpy about. Well, why aren't they here? Well, all of the reasons we just said. Yeah. 
And so, of course, then the flip side of that then becomes, oh, well, but we are a welcoming, open, and inviting church, so why aren't they just flocking to us? Because we're welcoming and inviting to our own people. Um, and and I, I, I pay particular attention to this on, on Sunday morning. Um, and a shout out to my home congregation pastor, Pastor Liz, when I talked to her, I, I led worship one Sunday, and I said, how long do I let the passing of the peace go? And she said, well, for one, if there's a new person, when they stop being greeted, you move it along. Because you don't want those new people not being, not feeling like they're part of, they're part of the in just crowd, sti- part of the Just sitting click. there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the high school cafeteria, again, where you have the, you know, the kids that are sitting by themselves that nobody talks to while everybody else is. And yeah, we're, I think we're a very warm and friendly and welcoming congregation. Um, I don't know that that's always the experience of our new people. Now, I know that some of you faithful Emmanuel listeners will challenge that, um, and I'm going to challenge you back um, to say there's, we can always be more gracious and more welcoming. Um, and we have, we have many lovely, wonderful, and gracious people that are indeed very welcoming. And we have a lot that are very intentional about finding people they don't know yes. and going up to them and um, at least shaking their hand even if they don't fully introduce themselves. We're working on that. Uh, sure, <laughs> sure. We're, we're, we're working on the whole introduction thing um, a little bit, little bit more. But, yeah, I mean, that just goes back again to especially if they're, they're single because I, I, I know multiple churches I walked into – no one spoke a word to me. It wasn't here, but when I was kind of, you know, trying to find my way around, um, figuring this whole spiritual journey kind of thing out, was there were a lot of churches that we would go to, unfortunately, many of them Lutheran, where, you know, you, you, would, you would stand there during their coffee hour or something and not a single person would come. So they'd look at you because, and they would give you a funny look like, you don't belong here. Um, and... So then what happens? And my mom and I actually went to one of those one time up in Minnesota. I was looking for, um, we, we have something called con ed sites where you have to affiliate with a, a congregation while you're in seminary. And continuing I was, ed. Yeah, continuing ed. And I, I was looking for, you know, and I was looking for my church. So we tried this one out and it had this big sign on it that said, welcome. You know, all are all, welcome. That's, that's like the famous tagline. Whatever, not a single person spoke to us the entire time. And That's my least favorite thing to put on a church sign, by the way. All are welcome because inherently we want to we want to say that, but it's really not true. Yep. We want it to be true, but the reality is there's always someone that's going to walk in here that doesn't doesn't feel welcome. And we would love for that not to be the case. And and scripturally, it shouldn't be the case. But the, that that generic sign, all are welcome, is 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 kind of overplayed and kind of BS if you're asking yeah. me. So the big question uh, then is, of course, so what do we do about this? Yeah. How, how do we solve all of those, those issues and, you know, reach well, out and, and, and somehow touch the single millennial I've got it. population? I've got it. I've got it figured out. Oh, cool. We write, all of our, we write our legislators and tell them that they need to reenact the blue law so that the only thing open on Sunday morning is church again. <laughs> and then we write all the, you know, the Little League Baseball and peewee football, and soccer, and dance, and say, you know what, Sunday mornings are for, are for church only. Could you, pl- I'm sure that'll work, right? 
Mm-hmm. No, okay, so the reality is uh, that's very tongue-in-cheek in case you yeah. know, the sarcasm didn't <laughs> quite come through. Um, the reality is we have to be flexible. Um, I think, wh- what, do we know about, what do we know about our younger generations? Technology is their, life. is their life. So why are we not leveraging technology to reach our younger members in society? And then I think we have to go a step further. I think we have to take... Um, this notion of what it means to be community, an authentic community, not from a screen um, on your computer or your iPad or your iPhone, um, but tangible building of relationships. Because let's face it, we all want those healthy, meaningful relationships. Um, and I'm not just talking you know, for our single, our single people who struggle. In, I think we all need that sense of community. Um, and people to identify and connect with and, and build relationship. I think that's really important. And I think the biggest thing, the absolute biggest thing, is to get away from the hypocrisy um, and to get away from this notion of um, we as Christians are the ones that are going to do the saving. Um, our job as Christians is not to save anyone. That happened on the cross years ago. I, I years used to... ago. <laughs> I used to, whenever uh, I would get somebody who would come up to me and say, so when did you get saved? Yes. Um, I would go, well, we're not real sure what the date was, but it was around 30, 33 mm-hmm. AD-ish, yeah. you know, so somewhere in there. And they would just kind of look at me funny. And I, and I was That like, box was checked for me. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's like, um, when did you get saved? Well, I got saved 2,000 years ago. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I think, I think our job as Christians needs to be less about... Um, getting people saved and you know, we're sort so we're sort of um identifying our slant on salvation our lutheran slant on salvation but hey we're lutheran pastors what do you expect um i think we need to get we need to be less concerned about the salvation of other people and more concerned about spreading the love of christ in the community regardless of regardless of who what when where regardless of what label what other people may call someone um so i, ha- I have a quote it's about and, bringing people into relationship Absolutely. Um, this, and this is one of my favorite quotes, and unfortunately, I don't know who it is, who I can attribute it to, so if you know, let me know. Um, be like Jesus. Spend enough time with sinners to ruin your reputation with religious people. Oh, I've heard that recently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite sayings. And if we ask a lot of our, a lot of our church folks, um, they'll, they'll report back that, well, I don't, most of my, most of my friends go to church. I'm like, oh, most of mine don't. <laughs> yeah, no, most of mine don't um, either. And, and, I, I, and I think there's, there's that notion that, you know, we, we need to be part of community and part of society, knowing that not everybody's a churchgoer, but the way, that, the way that we reflect Christ and the way we engage and interact with people, um, not beating them over the head with the Bible, um, not dragging them to Christ, um, not scaring them to Christ, but loving them and compelling them to Christ. I think that's way more powerful, way more reflective of Christ's life. Um, Christ didn't scare people. Um, Christ didn't drag people to the cross. He died on the cross. Um, And that act of salvation is much more compelling than telling someone they're going to hell. Well, and I think that's part of it, too, is the, the, the Christian image in, in society. And, you know, it just it, it, it isn't a good one uh, for the most part, unfortunately, anymore. 
um, which well, is just love sad. people. Yeah, which is sad because yeah. our calling is to love people. Our calling is to um, take care of people, to care for them, not just their 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 bodies and and their souls, um, you know, but that holistic approach of how you you are caring for them. And if we just concentrated on how do we care for these people. Um, and and show them the love of Christ. Then you open the door to being able to actually tell them yeah. about this this wonderful Christ that uh, is what motivates and what what pushes you and is what um, compels you to continue to love people even when they are your enemies or whoever it is because that's some radical stuff you know loving your enemies and you know um, you know what else we didn't talk about and I can't believe we got 37 minutes into the podcast <laughs> and didn't mention um, one of the other one of the other things for millennials they want to they want to make a difference they want to change the world right and as a church if we're only here on Sunday mornings and not engaging in the community that's a big thing, and I have no idea how we got this deep into the podcast and didn't talk about that facet. Um, we as a church need to be engaged in, in the community, um, feeding the poor, clothing the naked. You know, that's kind of biblical. Um, and for many of our, our millennial, millennial folks, um, it's making a difference in the world. They, definitely, they desperately want to make the world a better place, not just for themselves, but for everyone. And I think the church, that's part of our mission. We don't always live it out well, but I think that's another aspect um, in terms of, I don't want to say attracting millennials because that makes it sound um, kind of sleazy like marketing. and marketing. <laughs> uh, but hey, I have a marketing background and so do you. So uh, maybe there's something to that. But it's that notion of being the church in the world um, that makes a difference in the lives of other people that is deeply, deeply, deeply scriptural and deeply attractional. Um, People see what you do. Yes, and that's and that's what that's what millennials base their their opinions on. And it isn't about how much you tell them; it's about what you show them. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I don't have anything else. I feel good. All right. Well, thank you for joining us again. If you have uh, any topic you would like us to cover that uh, we have not yet so far in our whole whopping three podcasts that we've done, be sure to send them to us at ipccrackedpots at gmail.com. Thanks.